This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Put my name up in the line. Thursday, it's time to go to work. Welcome to Fitz and Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance. The fellas are on vacation this week, so alongside the incomparable Freddie Coleman. <laughs> My name is Joe Fortenball. We have got a stacked show for you today. First question out of the gate, first statement out of the gate, first topic out of the gate. If you were sleeping last night on the East Coast, if you went to bed early in the Midwest, Mountain Region, or on the Pacific Coast, you missed a big chunk of history in Major League Baseball. Este Uri Ruiz stands in his way. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of Yes Network, Ryan Ruoco on the call. The New York Yankees defeat the Oakland Athletics 11 to nothing at the Coliseum last night, but the story was starting pitcher Domingo Herman. It only took 99 pitches to author the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history, the first in almost 13 years since Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners pitched a perfect game on August 15th. 2012. Herman was masterful. 15 earned runs mm-hmm. in five and one thirds innings pitched, Freddie, is what we saw from him over his previous two starts. He had gotten completely shelled. We'll get into all of that as we slice it up and down. But the first thing I want to ask you yeah. we haven't seen a perfect game in nearly 13 years. Do you think this is the last one we're ever going to get a chance to witness? Well, uh, before I give you my answer, I will say someone's getting fired in the Yankees analytics department because how <laughs> dare you allow a guy to go out there and throw more than 70 to 75 pitches. Perfect game be damned. And I'm sure he got to the 90 mark. Got to get him out of there. Get the bullpen in there. Get this him is not out. analytics. He threw 99 pitches of a perfect game, like you mentioned. First one we've seen since Felix Hernandez did it for the Seattle Mariners back in 2012. The more – likelihood is that, yeah, this may be the last time you see a perfect game thrown by one guy because in in the age of 21st century baseball, it's not about starting pitching. It's about getting relievers in there and mixing and matching and pitching and patching when it comes to that. And I think that's why we see so many pitchers, Joe, have these kind of breakdowns when they should not have any breakdowns. To go back to the line from the movie Major League Two from Parkman, you think your arm can stand the strain of a fastball? <laughs> Too many analytics guys don't want arms straining throwing fastballs, which is what they do for a living. So the fact that we saw that from a guy that has not been a world-class pitcher when it comes to Erman, the fact that we got that, that seemed to be part of the course. We always get perfect games from guys that aren't necessarily the best of the best in Major League Baseball. Four in the history of the New York Yankees organization, Don Larson, David Wells, David Cohn, and now Domingo Herman. It would appear if you want to throw a perfect game for the Yankees, if your first name begins with the letter D, (laughs) Uh statistically, you have a much better chance of pulling it off than anybody else. I mean, this is a guy who the last two outings, he Mm -hmm. had been completely shelled. 15 earned runs allowed on 15 hits in five and a Third, five and one thirds innings pitched. He was coming off a 10 game suspension 
Mm. back on May 16th. He was ejected in the fourth inning of a matchup against the Toronto Blue Jays when it was determined he had too much sticky stuff on his hands. Uh, So he's ejected. He gets the 10-game suspension based on the way he was pitching. It was clear, clear as day that you could see a perfect game was coming. In fact, take a listen to this audio. Two bets here. A's plus 130. I'd also play the A's in the first five innings at even money. Domingo Herman has been horrific as of late. 15 earned runs allowed over his last two starts. That's only five and a third innings pitched. ERA and XERA both north of five. Oakland lefty J.P. Sears has been terrific. Two or fewer earned runs in seven of his last eight starts, during which time he's at a 2.93 ERA. That audio Mm-mm-mm-mm. is courtesy of <laughs> courtesy of Daily Wager, ESPN2, Monday through Friday, of uh, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That's Joe Fortinball. And if it sounds familiar, that was me <laughs> yesterday making very confident bets against the Yankees every which way because of Herman. Tough to be more wrong than that, Freddie. When you go back and listen to every word in that rant, it turns out they were all incorrect. One of the things about like we've always seen this with no hitters and perfect games because even if a guy could have great stuff, he might give up a hit or two hits. That doesn't mean he's pitching a terrible game. One of my favorite examples of a guy who was dominant did not throw a no hitter. I had a chance to speak with Bernie Williams of the New York Yankees, and I asked him the most dominant pitching performance he ever had a chance to be a part of, either as a player or on the opposite side. He didn't blink an eye. He said, oh, the day that Pedro Martinez struck out 17 of us, he said, I don't know how he gave it two hits in one run. We couldn't hit that guy. Derek Jeter comes back to the dugout. I asked him for advice. I said, what do I do? He just put his batting gloves in the rack. He shrugged his shoulders and went and sat down. That was his way of saying good <laughs> luck to you. So how many times have we seen dominant pitchers not have a no-hitter? I go back to Greg Maddox. He said he never wanted to throw a no-hitter. He always wanted the hitter to always think of something different to get him out later on in the game. So if he got a base hit off one pitch or a pitching sequence, that was good for him because he knew that, okay, if I can get in his head a little bit, he was never worried about throwing no-hitters, and he never threw one in his Major League Baseball Hall of Fame career. So it's always the art of the no-hitter that there's really no specific science to it, no matter what kind of pitcher or what kind of pedigree that pitcher has going into that situation. If you go back in the day, I don't have it in front of me, but I think Timmy Lincecum of the Giants threw a no-hitter yep. once. Not a perfect game, but a no-hitter, but it took like 150-some pitches, yeah. if memory mm. serves me correctly. Right. And part of what you're saying is the criteria and what you need to pull this off, it's even harder now because no one's letting you go 130 pitches. No, not No one's all. letting you go 140 pitches. No. Herman had to pull this off in 99 pitches. You need a very willing dance partner to throw yep. a perfect game mm. in the modern era of Major League Baseball, and the Oakland A's were that perfect dance partner. Yeah, they were the gas house gorillas when Bugs Bunny got in the game. That's what they were. One, two, three, strikes you out. One, two, three, strikes you out. You are spot on, Joe, that if you're going to have those kind of situations, yeah, you need somebody that's going to be one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I I was very blessed. The only I've had a chance to see a a perfect game in person when I saw David Cohn do that for the New York Yankees. And if you had told me, What was that, 1999, I believe? Yeah, 1999, as a matter of fact. A young Freddie Coleman? No, I don't know about young. More more, (laughs) more like less in age. Young is a stretch there as far as that goes, Joe. But I appreciate the kind words for us old people here. Joe Porton about Freddie Coleman and Fitz and Harry and ESPN Radio. And if you had told me that that was going to be a perfect game, the way that he was kind of scuffling along early in the first couple of innings. I would have said, yeah, he was dancing in of a lot of at-bats, in of a lot of plays. But then as that game was able to go on and on and on, he got stronger and stronger and stronger. And normally the no-hitter affects the pitcher because everybody knows he's throwing one. 
I thought the team he threw the no-hitter against, they succumbed to that, that, to that pressure because it seemed like he wasn't dominating, but then he got more and more dominant as that game went on. All right, so you were at, in person, one of the 24 perfect games that have been thrown in Major League Baseball history, yes, which sir. is an incredible thing to be able to say. Yes. Let me ask you this. How do you start managing your bathroom breaks, if you're having beers, uh-huh. any food? How do you start managing it as you realize what's happening and you're working yourself into the later innings? Well, the good thing, it was a, it was a Saturday, excuse me, a Sunday in July when that was going on. Normally Sundays in July in New York, it is hotter than bad breath out there. So you're trying to hydrate as much as possible. But that was a clear indication that day it was about 84, 85 degrees, not a lot of humidity. It was one of those picture postcard kind of days. Yeah. That when you put down a picture postcard what New York should look like in the summertime, that's what that day looked like. High skies, not a lot of clouds as far as that goes. So right about the, right about the sixth inning, we looked up and saw zeros, and then we really looked at the box score, and we're thinking, man, no one has a hit. And then all of a sudden we realized, man, he, I think he's got a perfect game going. And, Joe, you know this. There's always one person in the building that is keeping score, like they're a little kid going to their first baseball game. Oh, yeah, he's got the whole notebook. You can't bother him. Three different color pens. Right, no doubt. About four people away from us, I looked down and said, I hope you don't mind me bothering you. I never get his name. His name was Barry, as a matter of fact. I said, does Cohen have a perfect game going on right now? He goes, yes, he does. At that point, I knew I was not going anywhere. I, I was not leaving my seat. I didn't want to stand for the seventh inning stretch. I'm not normally superstitious. <laughs> I didn't want anything to get in the way of that, of a potential no-hitter. And I could even imagine, Joe, I'm not a Yankees fan. I just decided to go. My buddy had an extra ticket. He said, you want to go? I said, sure. Sunday afternoon, I'm not passing a Major League Baseball game, especially a ticket where I didn't have to pay for the ticket. I'm in. We're going yeah, down there. And yeah. then you go down there and you're a part of that, and you see that it's one of those days that I'll never, ever forget. And who knew that you're going to be in the building for a perfect game back on that Sunday, July 16th, back in 1999. You turned down that free ticket for that game, and you see that happen. That's it. You can't go see baseball ever again. It's like your life is over. It's just a (laughs) sadness just comes over you. You, You're looking at people. Don't talk to me. Don't speak to me. Don't look at me. I'm really glad that, A, I had nothing going on, and, B, I said, yeah, why the hell not? I'm not a Yankees fan, but I'm not passing up a chance to go to a Major League Baseball stadium. Evan Wilner, producer extraordinaire, what's going on? Yeah, so I, I went to a, I saw uh, Chin Ming Wong for the Yankees took a perfect game into the eighth inning. He went seven and a third perfect. Right. And I was with a bunch of people who I went to college with, including uh, my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And we didn't drive. We were with this guy. It was like eight nothing Yankees. It's in the seventh inning, and he turns to us and says, "So, do you guys want to leave after this game?" And what? I literally, I literally, what? he had, he wasn't paying attention to the game. I, I don't know what was going on. I think it was just. Ha- there to hang out and so I turned her and I said A we are not leaving B if he still has a perfect game going I will walk home I will walk from <laughs> yeah. the Bronx back to Long Island because wow. I'm, I'm completing this perfect game and he lost it you know a home run I remember Ben Broussard hit a home run for the Mariners okay. uh, at the, to start or with one out in the eighth inning and, and that ended it and then we left but he literally asked us after seven innings of a guy having a perfect game if we wanted to leave that's Dude. where you give him what's known as the, the old Jorge Masvidal, the two-piece in a soda. Absolutely. That's what he gets right there for that commentary because yeah. you got to keep yeah. that train moving. Yeah. Oh, as I uh, call it, the KFC, a two-piece in a biscuit. <laughs> two-piece That's in a what biscuit. he needs. 
I, you know, very quietly, if you haven't been paying attention, Major League Baseball having itself a hell of a year. You got the 24th perfect game in the sports history. Shohei Otani has emerged as the face of not only this entire generation, but maybe the face of baseball for the rest of time with the way he's been going. He's going to be heading for $550 plus million in his second MVP in three years. You got the Reds, 62 wins last season, third worst in baseball. They've won 14 of 17. They got the hottest prospect in the game in Eli David. Ellie De La Cruz, excuse me, Mm -hmm. and they're first in the NL Central. You got scoring, which is way up this year, and time of game is way down. Baseball's having a hell of a run the first half. And and check out the attendance numbers, because outside of Oakland, everybody's going to see Major League Baseball. And the biggest part about that, Joe, is that you're seeing a lot more parents bringing their kids, or you're seeing college kids going to see Major League Baseball games, because now... There's not just a cool factor to it with Shohei Atani, what he's been able to do with the Angels, but there's more of a cool factor now, younger people, because they know you're not going to a death march to watch a baseball game. You're not going there at 7 o'clock and you're getting home after 1 o'clock in the morning. You know if you go to a baseball game 7 o'clock Eastern time, more than likely if you still want to go out after the game, there's still time where you can do that and hang out a little bit and stay past midnight. So if you're Major League Baseball you got to start trumping those things up a little bit more to say people are gravitating towards our game. You don't want to miss out because you know this, Joe. If young people know there's a cool factor to something and they're missing out, they don't want to be part of. They don't want to be part of the FOMO crowd, fear of missing out. Yeah, you got to get it on Instagram. No, no doubt about it. Instagram, you get it TikTok, on Instagram. absolutely, no doubt. I about encourage that. everyone to stream every moment of your life. Give me every opinion you have on Twitter. Stream every moment of your life. Nothing can possibly go wrong when all of it's. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. I know Do you not are. stream every moment of your life. But Freddie Coleman it's knows too that. Late all now. right, we've got a big. We got a really big 36 to 48 hours coming up in the National Basketball Association. Free agency starts tomorrow. Every team in the East is chasing one specific enemy. So what moves should we expect to happen? He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. We're in for Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Overall, I thought we were starting to get it done. You could see the change in the culture. This entire process started by losing. As far away as they've tried to get from trust the process, there's still the losing stench in that organization. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. On the eve of the NBA draft, a major development on the NBA trade front involving Kristaps Porzingis. Boston gets what they had wanted all along, Kristaps Porzingis along their front line. I just felt like it was something that everybody wanted. Marcus Smart had been a player uh, the Grizzlies had targeted. He's a core player. That's giving up a lot. The Boston Celtics, excuse me, fired the first bullet in the race to win next year's Eastern Conference. Will it be enough? And what domino is next to fall? Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. As it stands right here in Las Vegas, the Boston Celtics are currently your favorite to win the Eastern Conference at a price of plus 210. That means you risk $100 
you win 210 should the bet come through. Milwaukee finds itself in second at plus 260. Then the Philadelphia 76ers at plus 550. Miami at plus 600. Again, a $100 bet returns $600 in profit. Cleveland at 9-1. to And then the New York Knicks at 16-1. to So, Freddie, Chris Dapps Porzingis joins the Boston Celtics. It's a much-needed scoring piece in their front court. Mm-hmm. They're the favorites to win the conference, right. but with free agency set to open Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, what are the next dominoes you might expect to fall in order to keep pace? Let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. Anything come to mind? They've got Chris Middleton up for free agency. Yeah. Brooks Lopez is also up for free agency. Uh, those two guys aren't leaving because if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, to bring some memory to everybody's memory out there, this team had the best record in the NBA last year. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and if Giannis Antetokounmpo doesn't get hurt, Mike Budenholzer still has his job. Who knows? Maybe the Milwaukee Bucks make it two championships in a three-year span when it comes to that basketball team. So they're not far away. I know they have Adrian Griffin coming in as their new head coach, so they're not – Charles Lee coming in as a new head coach. I know they're not far away. So they're definitely going to re-sign both of those guys to make sure that a healthy Giannis with the kind of piece that they have – Bobby Portis may be on the move a little bit. You don't have enough money, Joe, to sign everybody. And that guy's been a quality guy off the bench and as a spot starter for the Milwaukee Bucks. But that's a team that I know the Celtics have the odds in their favor, but they have those guys all coming back. That team right now, for my money, player for player, is the best team in the Eastern Conference. Jay Williams from Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max this morning on what he thinks the Bucks should do this offseason. I really do think this is one of those years, though, for Giannis, where it's what are you doing to help me stay at the top of the Eastern Conference? And every Milwaukee Buck fan knows this. Like, you have one of the best players in the world. You have to optimize and monetize that now. What pieces are you surrounding him with now? So obviously, like you said, Freddie, bringing back some of the key pieces in Chris Middleton and Brooks Lopez could go a long way in at least keeping this team competitive. Because you're right, there were a lot of things going on in that series against the Heat last year. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound like we're taking it away from the Heat. I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever, but Giannis battling an injury. Coach Bud's brother had passed away during the series. Maybe his mind necessarily wasn't there. The Miami Heat deserve all the credit they get, but Milwaukee, there is a case to be made that there was an underperformance factor that took place and that next year they'll be just as formidable if some of the key pieces are back. And by the way, remember, there were at least two games in that series that the Milwaukee Bucks had a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter. They even did that without Giannis in one of those games. And even when he went down the injury, Joe, many people believe the Bucks had enough players where they could win that series as a number one seed, even with a, a, an unhealthy Giannis Antetokounmpo being compromised, even without him. So you're exactly right. Charles Lee takes over this team. There's always going to be a comfort factor when the new coach comes in to replace that team. But I guarantee you, he's not going to mess with what works. So I hear what Jay Will's trying to say, that Giannis may be looking around But if those pieces are back together, we saw what this team was able to do, winning a championship two years ago, and they were, let's let's call it as it is, they were a compromised team. They lost to the Boston Celtics last year in the Eastern Conference semifinals. All right, so the Philadelphia 76ers are third on the odds board behind Boston and Milwaukee. They're at a price of plus 550, risk 100 to win $550 if the Sixers win the Eastern Conference. James Harden is up for free agency. Sometime this afternoon, he has to let the organization know if he plans on opting in to his $35 million player option for this upcoming season. In addition, do you keep Tobias Harris on the roster or do you use him as trade bait to try to alter some of the rest of the roster? Evan, do we have audio? I, was it from Wendy or was it from Woj about uh, James Harden? 
Woj, let me know when you have that because he said something very interesting about what Harden could do. Before okay. you guys get to that, I'll kick it over to Freddie. Yeah. So what do you think happens today with Harden and moving forward? They, We talked about it yesterday. You bring him back, all right? Yeah. He led the league in assists, but does right. it get you any further? Well, put it this way. We know here on planet Earth, Joe, that they're not moving on from James Harden. As long as Daryl Morey is the general manager, the only way that they're going to move on from James Harden, if somebody kidnaps Daryl Morey for about 48 hours, <laughs> make sure he can't make any decisions, and then that happens. But he's definitely going to come back. But on Planet Freddy, if I were the Philadelphia 76ers, I'd make a play for Fred VanVleet. I think that'd be the perfect guy for them. He's going to be cheaper. He's younger, 29 years of age. And, yeah, he's nowhere near the playmaker and ball handler that James Harden is. That's not any kind of new news here but he fits a lot better for what they can do as a playoff team. He's been a playoff-tested performer. He has an NBA championship ring on his finger. And for a guy like that that clearly understands his role and can over-exceed his role and make Joel Embiid better and make Tobias Harris better, and now you got Tyrese Maxey who can be the reliable second option that is going to ball out for your basketball team, and his, his come-up is a lot better than what James Harden can bring to the table. James Harden has great empty calorie numbers, when it comes to the regular season. Well said. You can rely on him to be there in the regular season. But in the playoffs, and I thought Tim Legler, when we had a chance to be on first take yesterday, as an ESPN NBA analyst, Joe said it best. When James Harden hits the floor, it feels like he goes below the floor. And you can't have that from a number two option, a superstar player where he has nights where he goes for 45, and then he only gets five points, five assists, and six turnovers. That happens to the 10th man on the bench. That shouldn't happen to James Harden. So if Planet Freddy had his way, Joe, I would go with Fred Van Vliet. But I live on planet Earth, and I know the Philadelphia (laughs) 76ers are going to bring back James Harden to see if exactly they can do a lot better to right those wrongs after being a three games to two against the Boston Celtics last season. We're going to let you hear from Woj later in the show, his thoughts regarding the latest involving James Harden and how there could be a bit of a twist. James Harden opting in. Would that be the best-case scenario for the Sixers? That's going to come up in about 30 minutes. But next... ESPN Radio Rankum continues, and Freddie will tell you why the number one pick in this year's NFL draft won't be the number one rookie in 2023. That's next. Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Coming up Friday, the ESPN Radio NFL Rankum Series continues with my top five offseason editions. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, I don't know why I'm yelling. 6 a.m. Eastern, right here on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, and ESPNU. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Top five NFL quarterbacks. Prescott has had a fantastic windows my whole career. You want to win the Super Bowl. To the top five NFL fan bases. We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's Rank 'em. The top five rookies. First off, I would like to address a piece of Doug's update there, Freddie. Okay. I find it hard to believe there's corruption when it comes to the Olympics. 
Call me old fashioned, but I, I I have to. It you got to get up pretty early in the morning to slip one past Joe Fortenbaugh. Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that there's corruption in the country of France. I didn't see that coming either. I mean, come on now. Who who knew that corruption, France, and the Olympics would not go hand in hand? Yeah, put your hand down. You know that's exactly what should happen. What year are we living in? What year? That's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenbaugh. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. One piece of news uh, to add to Doug's update. Uh, according to Adam Schefter, our very own. Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry of the Indianapolis Colts and free agent Demetrius Taylor are being suspended indefinitely through at least the 2023 season for betting on NFL games last season. Rules are pretty simple. If you play in the NFL, don't bet on the NFL. The only other thing, don't make any wagers on any sport from any device on company property. Yeah, and here's another piece of advice. That NFL manual policy book that they give everybody in the NFL as a player, uh, read that. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Just give it the once over. Yeah, just just read that because the life you save will be your own as far as that goes. So just read that and everything will be fine. All right, today it's the ESPN Radio Rankem series continuing. Yesterday we broke down the top five fan bases. Earlier in the week we talked about top five wide receivers, top five running backs. Today it's the top five rookies. There are a lot of different ways you can view this. Freddie, you get to go first. Number five. I love the pickup by the Seattle Seahawks of Jackson Smith and Jibba of Ohio State. DK Metcalf needed somebody else on the other side who can make big plays, and if Jibba can stay healthy. We saw Geno Smith was able to do, and now he really knows this is a football team, but Joe, more importantly, he knows that the Seattle Seahawks have a lot of confidence in him. Jackson Smith and Jibba, there's not a route he can't run. Short, intermediate, and deep. He's a playmaker that's going to help DK Metcalf. That's why I have him at number five. Number five for me is Indianapolis Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson. The gambler in me is hedging his bets here. Here's the thing with Richardson. He is a mile and a half away from being a competent passer in the NFL. Mm -hmm. It needs to be developed, but he can run. He can run as well as anybody. He is an incredible athlete, an incredible dual threat, and stepping into an Indianapolis system with Jonathan Taylor and Shane Steichen is the new head coach who was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. I think there's tremendous upside. I think his hot ceiling, very, very high. I think his floor, very, very low. So the gambler in me is hedging. We're talking about top five rookies and their performances this season not the next five years 10 years or 20 years just this season Anthony Richardson for me number five because of his upside number four I got Bryce Young at the Carolina Panthers and I think the best thing they've been able to do is have a guy like Andy Dalton Joe as his backup quarterback he'll get a chance to learn the NFL game but Bryce Young seems very very sharp already understanding the intricacies of defenses and it's going to take that learning curve that It's going to be very steep at first, but he's going to really overcome that sooner than later. I just think right now they don't have the pieces there for the Carolina Panthers, but don't be surprised if he's able to raise their level because he seems to have that kind of ability and that capability. That's why I have him at number four. I will stay on the offensive side of the ball, but I'll head north. Buffalo Bills tight end Dalton Kincaid at the University of Utah. 6'4", 242 pounds. He is the modern-day prototype NFL tight end. Lineup in the slot, can make big-time plays in the passing game. Caught 70 passes for 890 yards and eight touchdowns last year for the Utes. Do not sleep on him in Buffalo. We talk about Steph Diggs, Josh Allen, and the defense. This kid is going to be a major contributor starting on day one. 
Number three. Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback of Seattle Seahawks. He would be my favorite right now for defensive rookie of the year. You got him on one side and Woolen on the other side for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, they're going to be a lot of very, very sleepless nights for the offensive coordinators and quarterbacks and wide receivers. He can play in coverage. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there, Joe, and make some plays at the point of attack in the running game. He's physically and mentally tough. And now you got two shutdown corners that are necessary in modern football. And now Seattle has two guys both underneath the age of 24. Devin Witherspoon, I think, is going to be a star. That's why I have him at number three. Complete agreement. Witherspoon at three. Great job by the Seattle Seahawks identifying their weaknesses. They were 9-8 and eight last season. They went to the playoffs, but they had problems on the defensive side of the ball. 25th in scoring, 23rd in opponent yards per play. Witherspoon should impact those numbers immediately and help get the Seahawks back to the postseason. Number two. I thought the Baltimore Ravens got a steal with Zay Flowers late in the first round, the wide receiver out of Boston College. Now Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have any more excuses, Joe. He's been begging, pleading for this organization to get him weapons. Now you got Odell Beckham Jr. You got Mark Andrews at tight end. You hope that Rashad Bateman is going to be healthy wide receiver. But you get a kid in Zay Flowers that is the perfect ultimate slot receiver. They've been down there on the beach, Joe. They've been throwing and catching <laughs> passes from each other. They've it's like got, that scene in Top Gun. Absolutely. They've got a Malta together. It's been wonderful with the kind of situation that they have. I think Zay Flowers is going to be a stud. That's why I have him at number two. Will Anderson, pass rusher, Houston Texans. He was NFL ready a year ago at Alabama, stayed on, was the best defensive player in the nation. He's going to be playing under new head coach D'Amico Ryans, who A, played the linebacker position in the NFL quite well himself, and B, was the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers the last few years, of which that was a fantastic defensive unit. So he is going to have great leadership above him. Houston ranked 30, or excuse me, ranked 18th in the National Football League in sacks last year with just 39. This kid is going to be a big reason why they improve on that number this season. Number one. I think it's obvious. B. John Robinson running back of the Atlanta Falcons. And a lot of people said in 21st century NFL football, Joe, that you can't draft a running back that high, but some dudes are just special. And B. John Robinson is going to be that kind of guy. Tough runner inside, can break plays to the outside, underrated pass blocker, but catching the ball at the backfield, he is special doing that. He needed a chance to do it a lot at Texas, but he has great hands and the kind of offense they want to run. With Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator and head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, he fits exactly what they want to do best. That's why I beat John Robinson at number one. Complete agreement. He's 3-1 to one to win Offensive Rookie of the Year right here in Las Vegas. That's the favorite. Arthur Smith is the head coach and play caller. Remember, he came over from Tennessee where Derrick Henry enjoyed incredible success under his tutelage. This is a kid that's coming in, and we're breaking down top five rookies. It takes quarterbacks a while to make an impact in the NFL sometimes. Rookies are tailor-made to step in and put up big numbers right away. Complete agreement with you, Bijan Robinson, number one. All right, that wraps up. There's a lot to discuss because I only had one quarterback on Mm -hmm. my list, Anthony Richardson. You only had one on your list, Bryce Young of the Uh Carolina Panthers. We got Chris Carlin's list that we need to discuss, as well as turn it over to you. The loyal listeners, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Who's going to have the best rookie season? Offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, your call. 888-729-3776, best rookie in 2023. Fitz and Harry's presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. So who's the best rookie in your mind? Plus the best bets for rookie of the year. That's next. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80.
There's different shades of the truth sometimes, right? Like, no, yeah. honey, I was just going there to get wings. Like, there's different shades of the truth. Maybe you were eating wings, but that might not have been the whole reason but, you were there. But who was that late? Who was that lady beside you eating wings as well? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. imagine there's ever been a quarterback with this sort of support system around a single player. The Houston Texans select C.J. Stroud. The Houston Texans are putting together a sneaky good team that I don't think a lot of people are actually paying attention to. The Atlanta Falcons select B. John Robinson. He's a different kind of running back. I mean, that's that's the thing. Similar to how, you know, we've used Cordell Patterson. But they don't just fit in that certain box. They can play so many different spots. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. We're filling in for the guys, Fitz and Harry, here on ESPN Radio. Top rookies in 2023. That's what we're ranking today. Freddie Coleman's list as follows. Bijan Robinson, running back, Falcons. Zay Flowers, wide receiver, Ravens. Devon, Devin Witherspoon, excuse me, cornerback, Seahawks. Bryce Young, quarterback, Panthers. Jackson, Jackson Smith, Najigba, wide receiver, Seahawks. Mine, somewhat similar. Bijan Robinson, number one. Will Anderson, pass rusher, Texans, two. Yeah. Devin Witherspoon, Seahawks, three. Dalton Kincaid, tight end, Bills, four. Anthony Richardson, quarterback, Colts, five. Let's talk about the quarterbacks. Three yeah. in the first round. Bryce mm-hmm. Young, C.J. Stroud to the Texans, Anthony Richardson to the Colts. You see Young as yeah. having the best rookie season. Why is that? Because I think Bryce Young is the most NFL-ready quarterback right now that you can fit him into a system, and he has young receivers that he'll be able to grow with with the Carolina Panthers. I love DJ Chark, who used to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think it's the kind of veteran wide receiver that you're going to need, even though he's only 26 years of age. I love the draft choice of Terrence Marshall, also Jonathan Mingo. I think both of those guys are going to help. And I think the kind of system that Frank Reich is going to put in, because we've known outside of Carson Wentz, he's been the quarterback whisperer in the National Football League. You could not pick a better head coach to have a first-year quarterback learning exactly what that's all about, with Frank Reich being the back of the Jim Kelly all those years in the NFL and the success he has as an offensive coordinator in the National Football League. I think, especially in a winnable division, you don't have to ask Bryce Young to go out there and be the savior right away. You can ease him into it in a winnable division when it comes to the NFC South. That's a nice way of saying that division is a disaster. Anybody can win that oh, yeah, division. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying not to be nice, but I figured I had to. <laughs> Season hasn't started yet. Guys haven't gone to training camp. I don't need to be the, the, the Legion of Doom right now already when it comes to the <laughs> NFC South. Torching the <laughs> NFC South here on June, what is it, 29th? We haven't yeah. even gotten to July yet. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Bryce Young is the best of the quarterbacks in year one. Wouldn't right. be the least bit surprised if he's the best of the quarterbacks when it's all said and done. Smart, hardworking. He's got the pedigree. The situation looks pretty solid. I kind of took a chicken expletive way out here <laughs> by putting Anthony Richardson ahead of him. Okay. Because I think there's the Justin Fields boomer bust factor here. Okay. I think Richardson is going to be probably very frustrating to watch when it comes to the passing game. Sure. Because that's where he's raw. But I think the physical skill set, the fact that owner Jim Irsay wants him in there on day one, Jonathan Taylor backing him up, and a coach in Shane Steichen, who was part of the architecture group that put together that Philadelphia Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts, 
I think that's going to maximize Richardson's okay. running ability. So it wouldn't surprise me if the guy ran for 1,000, 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns on the ground, and then you get into the passing numbers and it's a bit shaky. If you were to say which quarterback's going to have the best career long term, I'm probably going with Bryce Young. I'm going right. to play it safe and I'm going to play it smart. But I think okay. for year one, there's a case to be made that Richardson is so boomer bust, again, in one year, that I'd play the boom and see how it shakes down. Yeah, yeah I don't hate that. And here's why. Because I think Richardson has the biggest upside out of the quarterbacks in this draft because to your point, Joe, about the raw talent that's there, if he can harness that with his ability to make, he can make any throw. Although yeah. sometimes he looks like a guy that played football for the first time or looked like he was trying to throw the ball backwards. And then other times, man, he can throw a frozen rope 55 yards down the field and hit a guy in the palm of his hand. That's yep. the kind of boom or bust factor. That's with Anthony Richardson. If he's able to have the coaching staff harness that, I'm not going to say he's going to be a bigger version of Jalen Hurts. But the tools and the ability are definitely there when it comes to Anthony Richardson being in that spot with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, size, speed, power. That offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch this season. Chris Canty, good friend of the show, his top five list from earlier today, he agrees with you. He sees Bryce Young as the best quarterback this year. He also has him number one overall as the top rookie. Devin Witherspoon, the corner in Seattle, he has number two. Jamar Gibbs, this is an interesting one, running back to the Lions. How many touches is he going to get? In the passing game, yes, but they also went out and brought in David Montgomery from the Bears in the offseason. Can't see the defensive end for the Buccaneers, number four. Jordan Addison, wide receiver, Vikings, number five. Any issues there? Anything stand out to you? Nothing. I'll I'll say the one thing that stands out, I think a lot of people definitely sleeping on Jordan Addison, the wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. I think he's going to be the perfect complement to Justin Jefferson when it comes to Minnesota Vikings, whether Kirk Cousins playing quarterback in 2023 or if he's able to carry that over to 2024 because Jordan Addison – he can make what I like to call those area code catches. You throw in this area code, he's coming down the bat, coming down the football. And nice. in one-on-one matchups, you trust that you put the ball up there like you do to Justin Jefferson, that Jordan Addison is going to win those kind of battles. He has that kind of special ability in one-on-one football in the NFL to make those contested catches and make sure the defensive backs don't knock it away or take that ball away from him. All right, I'm going to throw something at you here. I want to get your thoughts. It's the best bet I have for any of the rookies. You can bet Offensive Rookie of the Year. You can bet Defensive Rookie of the Year. Your Defensive Rookie of the Year favorite, Jalen Carter and Will Anderson Jr., Junior, excuse me. Carter came from Georgia, defensive lineman. He's with the Eagles. He's five to one. Will Anderson from Alabama. He went to the Texans with the third overall pick. He's also five to one. Right. On the offensive side, it's Bijan Robinson, the running back out of Texas who went to the Atlanta Falcons. He's three to one. I'm going to give you a moonshot here. You ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Offensive rookie of the year, fifty to one. Okay. Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, who really? went to the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. Now, this is a long shot, obviously, but right. he's get, Darren Waller's no longer with the team. Mm-hmm. Mayer is smart. He's polished. He understands the position as well as anyone. Okay. And the Raiders system loves to feature tight ends. Remember, okay. Josh McDaniels, Rob Gronkowski, what he got yep. there. Yep. Not saying he'll put up Gronk numbers, but at 50 to 1, that basically implies a 2% chance. I think that's worth a bet. And he may be the most motivated guy because he's, he was a first rounder that did not go in the first round. You right. may, that motivation may. Why not putting more ducats in your pocket, Joe, when it's yeah, all said quarterback situation, <laughs> Quarterback situation there, a little bit dicey with the Garoppolo foot injury, but again, it is 50-1. to 1. Woj has laid an intriguing option for James Harden and the Sixers, and it might be best-case scenario. That's coming up next. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. We're in for Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 